Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach there was a man So this week We're all talking to each other Over the phone In our own respective phone booths While a sniper outside Has his as his laser pointer pointed at us. Uh, Wait, at each of us? Each of us, yes. It's, it's, Dang. It's, it's social distancing taken to the extreme. <laughs> the snipers making sure that we don't get anywhere near each other. Uh, anyways, this is The Pick. I'm Colin Westman. I'm joined by... John Otney. And Sean Lemmy. And this week we are talking about the movie Phone Booth. Uh, I guess because we talked about the movie Changing Lanes last week, just out of curiosity. And uh, I don't know, I guess I was just looking for a movie that was made around the same time, but had like thriller vibes but like way more amped up changing lanes since that movie was like more of a drama i think than we were expecting so changing lanes was a exciting concept that was done too boring and (laughs) phone booth is a boring concept done too exciting well boring concept (laughs) obviously we're gonna get into this but i'd say it's a good concept yeah i don't know what's i guess if you just think setting something in one place for the entire movie is boring which most people probably would be like Ugh. snooze <laughs> but i don't know i think i mean i say that to a lot concept. of things yeah you're always just like snore yeah, i'm going uh, to bed you guys i love that snooze button yeah Anyways, before we get to that, let's share our little picks. Um, My little pick was, or is, an album that I was excited for. And then, you know, it's just easy to get caught up in the whole, I don't know, chaos of everything right now that I just completely forgot that it came out. And then... When I saw that it did, I was like, oh, that came out. It didn't get canceled or every, or anything. Um, it's the new Waxahachie album, St. Cloud. Uh, and after I remembered that it came out, I ordered it on vinyl. That arrived this week, so I've finally been listening to it. And I like it a lot. It might be uh, Katie Crutchfield's best work. I don't know. I liked her last album quite a bit, too. Uh, out in the storm, which was kind of a, I don't know, a, a little bit of a left turn for her in that it was more of like a fully formed band type sound, like a very heavy alternative rock sound combined with her, with her style of songwriting, which I thought was really cool. And this one is a lot more stripped down. It almost has like a folk country sound, which is a little bit similar i think to her first two albums which were very much like bedroom indie rock that was very spare but really emotionally resonant um 
and this one's like that, but it's like more polished and she just sounds very comfortable here, I guess. The album's sort of about her struggling with uh, sobriety and overcoming alcoholism and it's just uh, it's just a nice peaceful little album <laughs> that's uh, a good one to have right now to listen to yeah that's where i'm at too i mean i think i i, I don't know sort of like what you were saying i i the the last album i really 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 liked uh, but it was it was different and so I'm t- it's taken me a little longer to to get into this waxahachie album mm-hmm. but I put it on while I cook, like every day this this week, and it's been it's been it's been nice. Yeah. Nice. I can't listen to anything but music when I cook now because I'm always like burning shit, and I just need, I need to be paying fully attention to what I'm doing. And if I'm listening to a podcast or something, I'll miss out on important details. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sound like John wanted to go next? I was just gonna say, um, one time I was trying to like listen to Pet Cemetery on audiobook. Looking, it was way too spooky. <laughs> you know who reads the audiobook of Pet Cemetery? Michael C. Hall, and it sounds like he's right behind you, and it sounds like he's gonna put you <laughs> in the Pet Cemetery. He might. He's a killer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So for my little pick. Um, I've been trying to look for new shows to watch, but what I should have been doing is looking for old shows that I missed out on. And my brother finally convinced me to start watching Halt and Catch Fire. (laughs) You guys remember that show on AMC? (laughs) About guys making PCs in Dallas in the 80s? And it's great. I'm so sad that I missed out on it when it was new because it probably would have been on my top 10 list every year it was on and just based off of the first six episodes that I've seen it's really good it reminds me a lot of Mad Men it has that vibe I think because it's about like a team of, uh, of people in a very specific field and they're always meeting with clients and things are going wrong and it's like a nice little piece of history too and just the cast is really good like Lee Pace is basically the tech version of Don Draper, super mysterious, mountain of a man, uh, super handsome. Yeah. He, oh my god, guys! Not only is he super handsome, he's six five. He's huge. Whoa. Like he gets into a fight at one point and like rip open his shirt, and it's just like the most majestic thing ever. <laughs> mountain of him. It's funny because like Scoot McNary is like these like co-star, and Scoot McNary is like five seven, and he just looks like this little like troll man and there's this next to this <laughs> glistening god and also Mackenzie Davis is on it as like this punk rock uh, programmer and she's really cool on it um, it's funny watching this like I would have expected Lee Pace to be in a Terminator movie not Mackenzie Davis but <laughs> uh, but yeah it's great um, it's really interesting it's one of those shows where even though I don't really know what they're talking about most of the time when they get into the nitty gritty of all the tech stuff you get like the emotional thrust of everything and like this is important and this needs to work um, and there's a lot of great supporting characters Toby Huss is on the show is like he kind of owns this like tech company and then Lee Pace basically comes in and sweet talks him and takes it over and they basically like have to build this PC and it has to be successful or the company's going to go under so it's a very interesting dynamic yeah it's just a fun show and I heard it, it got like it ended really well too like it's last season was it's best so if it's already that good now, I'm excited to see yeah, how it ends. Yeah, I mean, that 
that's what's surprising me is that uh, everything I've heard is like, well, the first season's kind of a slog, but every season after that gets way better than the one before it. So to hear that you're that excited about the first six episodes is shocking to me. Yeah, it's really good. It really fills that Mad Men void. Guys, I miss Mad Men. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check it out. It's on. It's all on Netflix. Pretty convenient. You know, once you're done with your Tiger King shows. I would have recommended that, but I'm so tired of hearing about it. I finished watching it last night. Yeah. Um, me and Nina binged it. I just felt like garbage after watching it, though. <laughs> this is like, I don't know. Something about it just made me feel like, God, humans just suck. I mean, it definitely makes you feel bad for all the mistreated animals. Yeah. I mean, just that statistic that there's more tigers in captivity than there are in the wild is a real downer. And that most of the people that have these tigers are these insane people. It's like the the Avengers of dirtbags. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to decide who's the worst. Even the person who's supposedly good, Carol Baskin, you're like, oh, maybe not, though. She seems kind of sketchy, too. They're all weird. Yeah. And the story's not over. It's, it's like rumors that there's like going to be another episode somehow coming up. And <laughs> Joe Someone Exotic at- is like so into like his fame right now. He's having a great time, even though he's a terrible yeah. person. Someone asked the, uh, the, the president today during, well, I assume, a coronavirus briefing if he was going to pardon the Tiger King guy. And it sounded like the president had no idea who he was, so I don't think that's going to happen. But he's like, "I'll look into it." I'm sure if Donald Trump can like put together some sort of TV special with him and Joe Exotic, he would do it. <laughs> but like, the more you hear about Joe Exotic, the worse he seems to be. Because, like, for one thing, it came out recently that they cut out a lot of his racism because they're trying <laughs> to make him somewhat more sympathetic. So it's like, uh, like this is we got the best version of Joe Exotic in this show, and it still wasn't great. Does does this? Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say the show does feel like it's trying to be sort of like even-handed and impartial to all the sides of the story, but like Joe Exotic really doesn't deserve that. But no, no, he doesn't. Yeah, they give him his due, I guess. So. Okay, here's my thing. I have yeah. never cared to watch one of these Netflix like docu series because mm-hmm. every single story they do, even though they they like go viral and everyone's talking about it, doesn't sound interesting enough to maintain like more than just a regular feature length documentary's worth of information. Does does this justify itself to for like seven hours of watching? I think it does because. Obviously, well, for one thing, Joe Exotic's been doing this for a pretty long time, and he's gone down a lot of different. Uh, he's, he's 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 tried out a lot of different ventures to be famous, like running for president, running for governor. But also, it's about a lot of the other people in the big cat community that own big cats. Like, there's this one guy um, who has like a, a zoo who s- seems to also run a cult, maybe. And then uh, Carol Baskin, um, who's like kind of this animal rights activist and um, uh, Joe Exotic's rival, may have murdered her husband. Like, there's a lot of different other threads to go down. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, some of those shows are like, this could have been like just like one movie or maybe a couple episodes. But I actually think they did 
make it seem like there was enough there and that there's probably more that they could have put in so uh yeah it's definitely worth it it's as good as like people say it is it's just i think the weird thing about it is some people are coming out of it being like oh free joe exotic and it's like ah, that's probably not the right thing to take away (laughs) i think the thing you're supposed to take away is the cats you know we got to do something about all these cats in captivity yeah like it's possible that maybe he didn't deserve the prison (laughs) sentence he got but i mean he did put out a hit on somebody even if it didn't like come to fruition I mean, it seems like the charges for the hit were kind of flimsy. It seems like it was mostly for all the animal rights violations, because he got charged for 19 animal right animal cruelty violations. Yeah, I mean, it's like OJ getting charged for stealing sports memorabilia. Right, <laughs> right. Like he kind of deserved to go down if it yeah. wasn't for that thing specifically. Exactly. But yeah, if you haven't checked out Sean, you should. I think it's worth your time. It's entertaining, but you may feel bad about yourself after watching it. It's it's pretty easy to just binge through. I mean, the reality is I'm going to watch it accidentally because every time I go into Netflix, there's like a hundred buttons that (laughs) are watch Tiger King. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean because I'm watching Halt and Catch Fire on Netflix and Paul keeps almost accidentally clicking on Tiger King. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my little pick is a YouTube channel, um, because during this time I have been also incredibly busy with work. Um, so I haven't really sat down to binge a show or movies, uh, or like, like a series of movies, I mean. Um, but I, I can always find time to, to get a quick YouTube video in. And, um, and I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite channels, which is called Captain Disillusion. Is that something either of you have ever heard of? No. All right. So Captain Dissolution is like a guy who he paints half his face silver for some reason. I think because he's supposed to be like a robot or something. Um, but he's he's a in real life he's like a, a filmmaker who is also an expert in um, in visual effects, you know, After Effects and Blender that that type of. Uh, video editing software um and so he makes youtube videos that explain um viral videos that are that are hoaxes you know he'll talk about uh you know that the video of a car floating down the river is actually uh you know it's a fake car but also how that was made and he goes into uh great deal uh, a great deal of detail explaining exactly how to do these effects and how clever these filmmakers are uh and also he does a great job of, of like cyber sleuthing and like tracking down uh you know what ad agency is behind this seemingly random viral video that that everybody latches onto. i think it's it's really interesting stuff um technically but also um i think you know increasingly people need to be skeptical of the things they see and hear and read online and the more fluency you have with uh with how these things are done the better equipped you'll be to um to detect these things on your own uh when you encounter them and um and these videos on top of being interesting i think are also like funny and fun and very easy to watch 
Um, and I saw that, that this guy, Captain Disillusion, is, uh, is turning 40 soon, and he's about to publish, or maybe just did publish his 100th episode on his channel. So I thought I'd give him the, uh, the little pick, put him on your radar. Cool. Sounds like something to check out. <laughs> All right, then. Let's talk about Phone Booth. Uh... What even, like, is that? I don't even, like, get this movie. What do you mean? What like what phone booth? What like what is like that? what is a phone booth? <laughs> yeah, like so what? A little history lesson: a phone booth. <laughs> this little glass rectangle that used to be in cities all across the world, <laughs> and a little phone inside the booth that you could go inside and make a call after you put in like a quarter or some amount of money. Just talk to people for a while until you didn't feel like it anymore or you ran out of money. I don't know. I only used a few in my life. <laughs> and and you probably never used one like this, right? I remember in Superman, which is a movie that came out in the mid-70s, mm-hmm. they made a joke about how there aren't like walk-in phone booths with doors anymore. They're all just like those half-hype. Uh, half-height phone booths we used to have yeah yeah i don't think i ever saw one like this (laughs) so it's weird that this is the centerpiece of the movie but yeah i think the thing is even in the movie they mentioned that like the next uh, tomorrow this will be demolished and replaced with such and such in that weird narration that's only at the beginning yeah where they explain what phones are and how i was like looking everywhere to figure out who that narrator was Mm-hmm. It sounded sort of like Kevin Michael Richardson, who's a voice actor, but I couldn't, I could not crack that code. So, if anyone knows who the narrator to the opening of Phone Booth is, please send us an email. Let's do something. Let us know. Yeah, man, that's important. Uh, so this is a, I don't know, weird film for me to pick because it is the brainchild of. A director and writer that I'm not really that familiar with. I mean, I only know Joel Schumacher from the campy Batman movies from the 90s, uh, which I have not seen in a long time. And then the movie was written by Larry Cohen, who I'm also not very familiar with, other than I remember once we watched like part of the stuff on TV. Sure did. That That looked pretty fun, honestly. But I haven't seen any of his movies. Uh, John, how much of Larry Cohen's stuff have you seen? It seems like you're a bit of a admirer. Sure, sure. I've seen quite a bit of his his horror output, which is mm-hmm. most of his career. Uh, there's a great documentary on Larry Cohen that I'd definitely recommend to anyone uh, called King Cohen about about his whole his whole career. Basically, he started out in the '60s. Um, writing a lot of like spy and action shows and western shows he created the show branded uh, and then he kind of slowly transitioned into like black exploitation films um yeah. and i think one of the memorable things about a lot of those movies and would continue to be a memorable thing about larry cohen movies is like he would film stuff like anywhere in new york without permits there's like mm-hmm. a scene and i'm not sure which film it is maybe hell up in harlem um, or Black Caesar. I think it's Black Caesar, 
where uh, someone drives a car onto the sidewalk in downtown New York and people have to like run out of the way of the car. <laughs> or there's a great movie from the late 70s called that he made called God Told Me To. Uh, and there's like a parade and they film during an actual parade and have like someone kill like shoot someone like during the parade and then collapse out in the crowd and people are like oh my god what's going on it is like all real <laughs> the the assassin in this scene is played by andy kaufman uh for some reason kind of before he really broke out uh but yeah like he's like a maverick gorilla filmmaker uh and he loved to shoot in new york especially like like not just like He's always shooting, like, the crowded parts of New York. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, he just loved to, to shoot there. That was that was his home. I guess it just um, makes it more cinematic if there's more people on screen. I think if there's a big crowd, yeah. And then also he was just known for these, like, very punchy, high-concept ideas. Like, he made a movie called It's Alive where, like, a woman has a baby and then the baby kills everyone in the operating room and then the baby goes on a killing spree. <laughs> Or he made a movie called Q the Winged Serpent where the ancient lord Quetzalcoatl, who is a weird dragon, <laughs> nice. is flying around New York City killing people and living in a, like the Chrysler building. So yeah, punchy high concept ideas, guerrilla filmmaker, uh, loved to shoot in New York. And then in the 90s, 2000s, started a transition to just kind of more of writing a lot of like thrillers somehow, which is weird. And I'm sure you read the little... Fun fact about how this movie first began. Oh yes, I'll. I'll I guess I'll just start and give you a, a bit of a history of <laughs> this script and how it very slowly made its way to becoming the movie Phone Booth. Uh, because I I read there was this article in the L.A. Times that Larry Cohen actually wrote around the time that Phone Booth came out. And he basically just described the entire process of making this movie and how he, like at one point, thought it would never get made, even though he spent like many years trying to get it made. Um, Originally, weirdly enough, it was a script that, well, not even a script, it was just an idea that Larry Cohen pitched to Alfred Hitchcock in the 70s. Uh, But both of them couldn't decide on a reason that someone would be trapped in a phone booth for an entire movie because that was the only concept they had was just a guy stuck in a phone booth and so I, I think Larry Cohen even like I don't know saw Albert Hitchcock's daughter at like a party or something like years later and she still said like she always Hitchcock always wanted to make that movie he was kind of Sad that it never actually got made. And then cut to the late 90s, and Larry Cohen actually got the idea to have the person in the phone booth being held up at at gunpoint by a sniper. And so he wrote the script, and it became like this really hot <laughs> script in Hollywood, which Cohen thought was kind of an interesting feeling for him because, you know, he'd been making movies for 30 years at that point, and yet it made him feel like he was the new kid on the block to have this new hot script that everybody wanted to make because he had never really experienced that before. And the first person who wanted to make it was Steven Spielberg. What? Yep. Weird. <laughs> Why? 
he just really was into the Hitchcock vibes of it. I don't know. Oh. It just intrigued him, I guess, because he was such a Hitchcock fan, even though I don't feel like many <laughs> Spielberg movies are that Hitchcockian, I guess. Uh, Catch Me If You Can is like a little bit, but not, I don't know. I mean, he was just going through a thing, right? Because he was doing the, like the Kubrick stuff with AI. Yeah. He was just working out his heroes. <laughs> I can't remember why Spielberg didn't end up making it, but I guess he would have ended up making Minority Report instead around that time. Um, so then Joel Schumacher came on board after Spielberg decided not to make it or or couldn't get it made or whatever happened. And then Nicolas Cage was maybe going to star, which would have been... That would have ruled. That would have been oh my God. great. I feel like he'd be better as the uh, as the caller. <laughs> he'd be too mad. He'd be scarier than the caller if he was the guy in the phone booth. I suppose. <laughs> uh, then that didn't happen. Then Mel Gibson was going to star in it at one point. <gasps> Again, Mighty another Mel. person who would be scarier on the other end of the phone. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, made its way to Will Smith, who was going to star in it. And he <sighs> was going to bring on Michael Bay to direct. But Michael Bay wanted to get the movie out of the phone booth. He wasn't <laughs> <to> be confined <laughs> by uh, the script's yeah. minimalist. <laughs> he blows that phone booth up first ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know. Like, why do you even want to get the movie made if you're not going to... I don't know. Adhere to the whole hook of it. Anyways, he dropped out because uh, he didn't want to make the actual movie that was written in the script. And then Will Smith dropped out uh, to make Ali. Then the studio thought about maybe bringing in an older star. They pitched like Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. Uh, and then when Robin Williams wasn't going to star in it, he said he he still wanted to play the caller. And then also for the caller, Anthony Hopkins read for it, and he was like pretty interested in it, which that sounds good. Again, would have been really good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you said Robin Williams a minute or two ago, right? Yep. Can you just imagine him switching into all his like voices and impressions as he's doing it? I guess if he did, like he like starts a, doing, you know, like Vin a Scully. schizophrenic guy. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I like that. Yep. Anyways, I think after all those guys dropped out, Schubacher came back on board again, and he was going to do it with Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey got like fitted for the suit that the the main character wears in the movie, and then it was like a week or two before he got cold feet and just didn't think he was right for the role, so he dropped out and starred in The Majestic instead. So at this point, Larry Cohen is just like, "Oh my God, what the fuck do I have to do?" to get this movie made it's been taking me 30 years is this thing ever gonna get off the ground and then finally his agent calls him and says all right we're making the movie we've got our star his name is colin farrell and larry cohen says who is that 
And at the time, uh, Colin Farrell was like this new hot thing in Hollywood, but he hadn't really starred in anything and he hadn't quite broken out. Um, but he, he ended up starring in this movie. And so after they shot it, I think they kind of held it up for a little while so that more Colin Farrell movies could come out and so he could become a bigger star. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you mentioned Minority Report. I wonder if that somehow led to him getting a part in that or, or if that connected him to this. I think... I don't know if the two are really connected. He, I mean, maybe he, he got the part in this after he had filmed Minority Report. I don't think it, it hadn't been released until then because the movies that came out before Phone Booth was supposed to were Hearts War and a movie called American Outlaws, both of which were flops, but then Minority Report came out and it made him kind of big, even though he's not like starring in that movie. So so it was Schumacher who brought on Colin Farrell, right? Because they, they'd made a movie yeah. before this that wasn't a big hit, but was critically acclaimed, Tigerland. Mm-hmm. So does that mean Joel Schumacher discovered Colin Farrell? <laughs> kind of sounds like it. Kind of seems did. like it. Yeah, I mean, Schumacher. This is seems... a weird Joel Schumacher movie. But then again, yeah. I, I wasn't aware that he made he made so many movies in the late 90s. I think of him mostly as like a late 80s director. Um, mostly doing like sexy movies. I feel like Bill Schumacher movies are usually like super hot, or, like hot people, like like the gang and the Lost Boys, or um, Saint Elmo's Fire, or like Flatliners. Mm. He likes to work with Kiefer a lot. He's worked with Kiefer like four or five times. Yeah. This movie is not as sexy as other Joel Schumacher movies, so it's not interesting really. that he's the one that ended up with it. <laughs> he didn't. Colin Farrell doesn't even take his shirt off. I, I will, yeah. just because we're talking about how sexy Joel Schumacher movies are, I got to bring up that he is, <laughs> he has claimed to have had sex with 20,000 men. Yeah. No, I read that, I think it was that vulture piece where he's, I mean, that's just like the way it was in New York in the 70s during like the disco era. It's just like this time of free love and gay men just having tons and tons of sex and then the AIDS epidemic happened and kind of stopped all of that yeah but 20,000 is an insane number it is <laughs> um, let's see if you have sex with one guy a day <laughs> we... <laughs> what are the odds he's done it in a phone booth Ooh. and he's I like of course happened. Yeah. Okay, if you have sex with one guy a day, it's going to take you more than 54 years to sleep with 20,000 guys. How often, when was the last, when was this uh, statistic, uh, f- like, is this still uh, going on? Like, um, when was this, sti- th- these numbers collected? I think that article was the last year. Last year, okay. So it's pretty recent, okay. But what's the Gene Simmons number? Let's take a look. How many Man. women... I don't know if I would trust Gene Simmons's math. Do you trust Joel Schumacher saying 20,000? Uh, okay, Gene Simmons claims to have slept with 4,800 women. So, Okay, 
So no, only a, a quarter as many people as Joel Schumacher. <laughs> it's funny to think that 4,800 seems pretty lame by comparison. Yeah. What a nerd. <laughs> oh, man. They're roughly the same age, too. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Joel Schumacher's got almost 10 years on him. Gene could catch up. Yeah, he's got time. <laughs> so anyways, after the movie was delayed so that Colin Farrell could become a star, uh, after being set to come out in November of 2002, it was pushed back even farther because in October the DC sniper... Uh, killings happened Uh, so people were not in the mood to go see a movie about a sniper so it was pushed back even farther into April 2003 and by that time oh oh boy Colin Farrell's just the biggest the biggest guy in Hollywood (laughs) thanks to movies like The Recruit and Daredevil oh yeah yeah, so uh, this movie did like pretty good considering it's made on a very small budget 12 million dollars made a little under 100 million at the box office uh interestingly they shot it in 10 days and two days for like pickups in new york because it wasn't actually shot in new york which seems a little weird considering john talked about how much (laughs) larry cohen loves shooting in new york but well, that's what happens when, you know, he had he just got to write it. He didn't get to direct it. Yeah. It's funny that he wanted to make it for so long, but he I guess he's at a point where it's like, but you can't direct it anymore. That's interesting. I wonder why he stopped uh, stopped directing. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it was because it was going to be a like more mainstream studio movie that they didn't trust him directing it. Cause yeah, yeah, I could have just like been a- even they just wanted a bigger name. Yeah. You can sell a Joel Schumacher picture. You can be like, from the director of, hmm, in 2002, <laughs> uh, a, a Time to Kill? I don't I don't even know. You can't yeah. say his 80s stuff. That's a while now. You can't say from the director of Batman and Robin. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they went well, with Joel you could, Schumacher. You could say it has the star of the coolest show on TV, 24. I feel like, don't you guys feel like when we were, when we were like teens or kids or whenever this came out, I guess we were like teens, um, don't you feel like it was kind of a secret about who the caller was, even though it's so obviously Kiefer? I guess the movie even treats it that way. But like, I felt like it was a spoiler that Kiefer was the, uh, <laughs> was, was the, uh, the caller, even though that seems insane now. Cause like for me, I, like Kiefer Sutherland, I did, had no idea who that was until 24. And I'm, I've never really been sure like how famous he was before that. Cause he's, he was definitely like in a bunch of movies throughout the nineties and eighties, rarely the leading man, but in a lot of movies, he must've been well known. I'm not really sure how what his like star power was 24 is definitely like a huge boost for him no yeah it's i mean it's the whole reason i have seen this movie because <laughs> i was so about 24 in the early 2000s that, that was the show anything with Kiefer is like oh we gotta go check that out that sounds great he uses a gun in it he does that in 24 
What? Well, I'm trying to think what Kiefer Sutherland's film career was like around this time. Like, what, did 24 get him any other any other big roles? Uh, not a whole lot as I'm, I'm looking through it. I mean, he was that was like a full time job, man. That was like that was. Do they do 24? Yeah, 24 episodes a season to go yeah, for all 24 hours. So yeah, that was mm-hmm. pretty time consuming. <laughs> I remember the Sentinel was like it looked like oh my god they finally made a. Uh, a 24 movie because (laughs) they play uh it's michael douglas and Kiefer sutherland are like uh secret service agents and michael douglas gets set up like that he's betrayed the uh the president (laughs) it's pretty white house down now that i think of it but it was with michael douglas and Kiefer sutherland so it seems super cool um but then Kiefer sutherland's character totally sucks in that movie Damn it, I just spoiled the Flatliners remake for myself. <laughs> Does it end differently? The spoiler the is, original? and you guys aren't good. So I didn't realize that the new Flatliners, which I feel like marketed itself as a remake, is a secret soft reboot. Ooh. Kiefer is reprise, like secretly reprises his role from the original Flatliners. Ah. He was the star of the original Flatliners. Talk about a sexy movie. Everybody's having sex in that movie. Except for Oliver Platt. <laughs> That's a good one. Case. That's there's a future pick. Flatliners. Flatliners. Which most one? of Joel the Schumacher's original? career. Yeah. Most oh, of his new one that you're learning movie. so much about. No, the original, Sean. No, this is the original this is the new one it sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, but like I was saying, most of Joel Schumacher's uh, career would be great for this podcast, so hopefully we'll revisit that at some point. But phone booth, yeah, Kiefer, he's the man. Colin Farrell, who the hell is it? He, but we all know who he is now. We love him. Oh yeah. Do we like him in this movie? I do like him, although I. It's almost like I wish I, I could watch him do this part now, because <laughs> he seems mm. like a a better actor now, and also better at doing American accents now. Like his his New York Italian accent's a little, it's a little shaky. It kind of drifts into light Irish a little bit, but like he's definitely like bringing the intensity I think to the role. Like he's sweating a lot in this movie, so it's like he, he's got a good energy in it. I think even if it's a little it's a little rough at this point. I think that's fair. I I, th- I wish more people had asked him about his hairy body. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, asked him? <laughs> that's <laughs> it's just a, a a weird scene in the killing of a sacred deer. <laughs> Where he is so hairy in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he, is. I, he probably didn't have that hairy a body. He's a young man at this point. Mm-hmm. There's a stupid soul patch. Yeah. I hate his look. But (laughs) I appreciate that this is not the kind of character you would normally think is the star or lead character of a movie. Yeah, he's I find that interesting. This seems like a movie where you'd get some um, everyman who seems like a good guy but then has a dark secret and then that comes back to bite him. Whereas instead they go with a guy who is a sleazebag right from the start. Um, yeah. And then his uh, his life unravels. 
which is kind of a nice angle, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So I guess to get into the plot a little bit, the movie opens on Times Square, and we see like a bunch of street vendors, and Colin Farrell walks by him, and he's just like on the phone. Being an asshole, I don't know. You could just tell that this guy is just very confident and arrogant and doesn't really think about other people. He's got like his little little assistant guy trailing behind him, and Colin Farrell's like, heh, maybe I should pay you someday after the guy's clearly going out of his way for him a bunch. And then we get to the phone booth, and he's calling uh, Pam played by Katie Holmes, who's like a woman that he's been talking to. I I believe the movie says they haven't had sex or anything, but they just like talk to each other on the phone a bunch. I mean, Colin Farrell's endgame is clearly to sleep with her, but he's married and so he's got to kind of be secretive. So he goes to this phone booth every day to talk to her. And he's maybe leading her on about her career, too, as an actress. Oh, that's true, because he works I don't know. in show business. Yeah. I don't know how, like, the montage we see early on makes it seem like he is good at his job, mm-hmm. but then Kiefer Sutton's like, you suck at your job. So I don't, I, for me, the jury's out on whether he's good at his job or not. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know how Kiefer Sutherland would know how good he is at his job, but he seems to know a lot about... Old Stu Shepard. Gosh, you guys, you guys, you know who yeah. my favorite client of Stu's is? I bet you know who it is. Do you uh, know? No, I don't. Do you remember? It's very brief. He calls one of his clients, and it's a guy played by Ben Foster who's clearly like Eminem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the back of the I looked it up. The character's name is Big Q. And Big Q's like That's... chewing him out for not doing a good job. That was Ben Foster? Yeah. Isn't that weird? He's That's uncredited. So weird. I, saw, I see there's another uncredited character in this movie. Jared Leto is apparently uncredited. No, it's a deleted scene where he plays Bobby. Scene. Maybe he's one of the clients, too. Yeah. I love Big Q, though. I like that Larry David's like, uh, I hear about, I've heard about this Eminem guy. I better like make a character like that. Throw him in here real quick. It's just funny. Did you say Larry David? <laughs> I did say Larry David. <laughs> Hey, Cohen. Uh, this, uh, this Eminem <laughs> guy. Uh, yeah, so anyways, there. <laughs> Stu's in the phone booth. He gets off his call with Pam, I think, and then a pizza delivery man comes to the phone booth, and he's like, hey, I got this pizza for you. And he's like, it's not mine. Fuck off. Fuck you. And then the pizza guy leaves classic new york situation i know everybody just like fuck you pizza forget it's everywhere <laughs> yeah delivered to phone booths and then there are these prostitutes just hanging around by the phone booth and they want to use the phone because i don't know because they're a business yeah they don't have cell phones time is money this is new york yeah also, there's a guy selling wind-up robots for oh, yeah. some reason to no one. There are no children here. Truly, this is a magical city. Truly. You could say New York is a character in this movie. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will say that. Yeah, sure. Why not? Even though it wasn't filmed in New York. 
for like I mean, they got enough New York shots to convince me. Sure. Uh, so the hookers are getting mad at Stu because he's hogging the phone booth. And then he's... I don't know if, at what point the the caller calls him. I guess it's probably in the middle of when the hookers are yelling at him. This mysterious voice on the other side is kind of instructing Stu to stay in the phone booth. And then at a certain point, the hooker's pimp named Leon is also getting just so pissed off at Stu for <laughs> talking the phone booth. Everybody loves this phone booth. They're a business. They need it. People didn't they... have cell phones back then. At least not as many. Mm-hmm. But the caller's still saying, like, you gotta stay on the line for whatever reason. And then, like, we see a little little infrared dot on... Uh, on Leon, and then Colin Farrell's like, "Oh shit, this guy <laughs> means business." And then he shoots him, and Leon dies. And then, uh, yeah, all hell kind of breaks loose because everybody thinks that Stu shot the guy, even though he doesn't have a gun. But yeah, then the cops show up. It all just turns into a three-ring circus. And then, like, the caller starts going into these, I don't know, weird, like, moral <laughs> tirades. Because he forces Stu to call Pam. And, like, admit that he's married and, I don't know, that he can't really move her career forward as much as she seems to think he can. I don't know. He calls his wife at a certain point, too. I mean, that's a whole big part of the caller's sort of motivation is he wants Stu to confront the fact that he's a shitty person because he's cheating on his wife, even though... There's part of me that feels like Stu maybe could have done, like, one more bad thing. (laughs) Like, he doesn't seem, like, that bad that he needs to have this total, like, change of heart that brings him to the brink of death. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even like act on his cheating ways. And it's like, yeah, okay. He's kind of shitty to a pizza guy, but you know, could be worse. Yeah. And it's like intern or whatever. But yeah, that that's my big frustration, uh, seeing this movie for a second time where I knew exactly what going to happen is that we, like he admits to, to his wife and uh, to Katie Holmes, what's going on? Like immediately, like bef- before the pimp even gets killed, he I think he's called both of them and told them yeah. that he, he's well. He told her that, she, that he's a married man, and he told his wife that he was setting up an affair but hadn't had one yet. And that's that's like it. That's the that's the big reveal is him telling them. And the movie works its way up all the way through the end of the movie to make him basically say that same thing again at the end. There's not, there's not another like deep dark reveal. He's not a serial cheater. He he doesn't, you know, betray people at work or he hasn't like secretly committed a murder or embezzlement or anything. There's there's no more reveals about Stu from like from really the end of the first act 
Yeah, but by the middle of the movie, it's just like these this standoff between <laughs> Stu and the caller, and the caller is just trying to get Stu to yeah just yell out to his wife who's in the crowd that he wanted to sleep with another woman and Forrest Whitaker shows up as like a police captain and that's fine what did you guys think of Kiefer Sutherland's voice performance I think it's incredible I think his voice is so good (laughs) his voice is good I do I don't know I wonder if it goes a little too over the top but at the same time it's like I don't know. Those kind of roles are fun, where someone's just playing a total villain. I mean, that's why we enjoyed watching The Invisible Man so much a few weeks ago. Just, like, being able to hear someone cackle madly is always a joy. Yeah, I think he's... I I would say I think he's great at that. But to me, the performance very much feels like a voiceover performance. You know, it doesn't... It doesn't, to me, feel like he's playing off Colin Farrell at all. And, funny you should mention that. Uh, When they originally filmed the movie, they had a different actor, like, playing against Colin Farrell. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the actor's name was. Uh, Ron Eldered don't know who that is but screen legend ron elder yes he was he was on set like in a window across from colin farrell trading lines with him for the whole movie when they were shooting and apparently larry cohen showed up on set one day and he was like i don't know about this ron elder guy he's not really what i had imagined when i was writing the script and joel schumacher took note of that and cast Kiefer Sutherland to like redo voiceover for the entire lines of the character in the movie and so I think it does feel a little like Kiefer and Colin Farrell are on a slightly different wavelength because they didn't actually like trade lines together in the movie um and I do, I do wonder if, like, it also feels like Kira Sutherland's a little too high in the sound mix so that it, it does feel even more like voiceover, like he's not coming out of a phone, but I don't know. His voice is nice mm-hmm. to listen to at the same time. Love it. Yeah. It's it's crazy for me to think there was ever any doubt that he couldn't do this part, because I feel like I read somewhere that Joel Schumacher wasn't sure about putting Kiefer in the movie. Probably because he'd worked with him so many times as usually just, like, hot dude. Like, he probably didn't (laughs) consider him this kind of menacing figure. But uh, Kiefer was, was, I think, was a great choice. Yeah. And, I mean, I I do wonder if it would have been even better if if they had just... (laughs) cast him from the beginning and hadn't done this like re-record job but it's 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 yeah, it's good as it is i mean it, it, he, he brings a lot of intensity to the role as does colin farrell and i think just based on that and kind of the style of the movie it is pretty entertaining like i it definitely zipped by for me even though i definitely have some like 
uh, reservations with the movie and some things that I feel like definitely could have been more fleshed out. Like at least it was, it zipped by and it, it engaged me for like the whole thing. Even if it is a little one note, uh, what what did you guys think about like the style of this movie? Because it definitely uses a lot of tricks and filters that feel very <laughs> of the early two thousands. Um, I felt fine. Like, okay. I definitely like reminded, like brought me back. Like, yeah, this is what movies used to be like. Mm-hmm. I can't really describe it. Using those split screens. Split Except screens, not. I think, definitely works. Yeah, it's because because the, they do they, they like superimpose the picture instead. It's like picture in picture instead of a split screen. Mm. It's, I still like it's, it. I think it's weird. I think it looks dumb. It's like pop up video. <laughs> yeah, it's like a pop up. It's like get this close this shit. Get out of here. I like it. I like it. I mean, I admit that it is like a little like I don't know maybe cheap looking or cheesy, but I feel like the premise is inherently kind of cheap and trashy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't have to be, but that's definitely like Larry Cohen, the, the kind of writer he is. So I thought it worked. That aesthetic like worked for like his style. Um, like it's not like a super sharp piece of satire. Like, you know, <laughs> that's kind of Larry Cohen's thing is like, his stuff is like satirical, but it's not, it's still not the most intelligent. <laughs> Like, the stuff isn't, like, a cutting, like, biting satire of culture. It's a dumb, like, blob movie. <laughs> but I had a good time with it. Yeah. You know what this movie reminds me a lot of? It reminds me a lot of Saw. Where, yeah, uh, I was going to bring that up, yeah. Where, like, because Saw's all about a guy who finds people who've done something bad and then give themselves a chance to redeem themselves... But usually it's people who've done, like, worse things, and then, like, it has to do with them sacrificing a part of themselves, like, cutting off your leg or cutting out your tongue or one of your eyes or something to, uh, to repent. Right, and, so. and, we, we, and we hear in this that the sniper has killed, like, um, like a, a stockbroker or, or something, like, someone who screwed a bunch of people by, by selling his stock ahead of... It sounds like some insider trading bullshit. Mm-hmm. And there was like another guy who's like a like a pedophile. So like, okay, those first two targets like make sense for this like <laughs> radical uh, moralizing that he's doing. But it just it doesn't. They never make a case for why Stu is the next guy. I feel like there's even a part where he he talks about those two murders and Stu's like, okay, well, well why why am I the third guy then? And he's like, if you have to ask that question, then you're not ready to hear the answer or something like that. They just sidestep the problem of it not making any sense. It is a little disappointing that it seems like it's one of those kind of movies where you can be like, well, why this? Why that? And you can be like, just because like he's like fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Like I need, we need a little more about him. Like I like that the caller's mysterious, and we don't learn that much about him. But like, like Jigsaw's mysterious, and we get his motivation. Like, cause we know like that he was he was screwed over, and that he was a good person who then was given a shortened life. So he's going after people who are taking their lives for granted. But we don't really know the caller's motivation at all. 
He's totally inconsistent with his background to mislead you. Like, oh, maybe I was in Vietnam. Oh, no, no, I wasn't. I had a bad childhood. Oh, no, I had a good childhood. I thought that was interesting, too, because on on top of Jigsaw, that aspect of it reminds me of Joker from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Where he, you know, he suggests possible backstories and then contradicts them later. But that's another case of the villain still having a clear motivation. Um we're here it's just like no this guy's a dick he likes to fuck with people and and i don't know why he picks Stu, except for he's the person who uses the last phone booth in new york city every day and so it was easy to to time out when he'd be there in that spot maybe it could be anybody it's not even like he's that specific with who he targets it could be anyone because we're all guilty of something Right. Yeah, it it almost kind of seems a little like convenience, just because he he says that he sees Stu use that phone booth every day, and so he's just like, "Why not? This guy kind of sucks." <laughs> good enough. Sucks. Good enough. <laughs> good enough. Yeah, it's yeah. like on Dexter, like you know, he's always like going after people that have done bad stuff, but like. He only like had that good access because he worked at the police department. If he didn't, he'd probably just be like going on Craigslist and searching the internet and reading the paper and be like, "Who's a really bad dude?" And eh, this guy's bad enough for me to kill. I I remember like later on one of the later seasons of Dexter. There's totally um, an episode where he's like, I, "I haven't fed my dark passenger in such a long time. I'm just gonna like go look for a bad guy and settle for someone I can kill." Yeah. So the caller's probably like, "This guy's bad enough." Mm-hmm. He's that dark passenger man. <laughs> he needs to satisfy him. Uh, so yeah, uh, what do you guys think of the ending? Uh, a little disappointing. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. You knew there was going to be some sort of like you knew like they weren't going to go up there and find him. Like oh no, like you know there's going to be misdirection. But I was expecting okay, then what? And it's just like, he just kind of like shows up and he's on the street. He's like, hey, man. He kind of sees him and he's in the ambulance. You're like, what? Like, how did, he, how did he get out of there? What's going on? So I was a little disappointed. Unless I missed something. He's so, because they go, they, they, they've targeted where, where he's, the, the, the gun is. And mm-hmm. they go up to the top of the building, the police. They find that the pizza man is in there and he slit his throat. And they're like, this is the guy. And Colin Farrell gets, like, taken in by an ambulance. And then he's, like, all woozy. And he sees the collar. You know, Kiefer dressed like, I don't know, some just like someone's dad. Just, like, glasses and, like, a crappy coat. And he says, like, some lines and then just kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, I figured, like, there was going to be some other piece of information that's going to be dropped here to make, to kind of piece that ending together. Be like, oh, that's how he got out of it. That's why he's down here. Or, like, he's actually this person. But I don't think there is any, anything like that, right? I, I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss any extra details. Yeah, I, he says something like, uh, you're honest now, so let's let's hope you, you stay on. You, you don't start lying again or whatever. Which makes it seem like, oh, it was his plan all along to let him go. But, like, if that's if that's the thing, if he is this, like, I am only targeting bad people, and, I, and, and even those bad people, I'll give them a chance of redemption, and if they redeem themselves, I'll let them live. If, even if that's the case, it doesn't explain why he would kill the pizza guy. Because the pizza guy didn't do anything. We don't know that. But again, <laughs> we probably should, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
we probably should know that he did something because they're like oh because oh god i oh i i don't want to spoil saw for you guys but i will say that saw does use other people like like as to do his job who are also in the same scenario as the people in the traps you know like he's got like a network of people working for and against you know like him like that are all have done bad stuff you know he's manipulating mm-hmm. a lot of different people um so it would have been perfect if yeah the pizza man had some crime that we found out about and it's like well, that's why he had him doing this mm-hmm. to repay so he could get out of his jam by doing this i don't want to spoil sock because we're definitely gonna watch it for the pick if spiral ever comes out <laughs> It's just, there's so many other movies that watching this one, you're like, man, I wish I was watching that. Like, watching all the hostage negotiation stuff, I'm like, I really wish I was watching Inside Man. Mm. I was thinking about Dog Day Afternoon. Or Dog Day Afternoon, that's another, yeah. Like, two good heist movies that have similar, like, relationships where there's the one detective who understands what's going on and tries to make a connection with the guy. Mm-hmm. Um but here it's Forrest Whitaker, and I I don't know what Forrest Whitaker is doing. Why he'd waste his time? I think he's role. good. He's just exact. He's just out of breath. <laughs> okay, man. Okay, all right. We're gonna get to this. We're gonna do this. <laughs> That's my for the Whitaker. entire movie. And he keeps being like, "Oh, man, when I got divorced, that really I, I would if I had a gun, I would have killed some people. I guess. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> Try to sympathize." I like the performances in this movie. They're like, they definitely like veer into over the top. But again, Mm -hmm. like, this is like a trashy movie that should have been a trashier movie, but it's a trashy movie that somehow got made into like a really slick thriller. (laughs) I feel like if you can view it as what it probably is supposed to be, this probably should have been a movie that Larry Cohen directed himself Mm -hmm. in the 70s, uh, Starring some, like, I don't know. I was going to drop some names, but they wouldn't be names that you guys would know because no <laughs> big name star in Larry Cohen movies. Try me. Uh, like Michael Moriarty. Oh, I vaguely know who that is. He Well, he was in the stuff as the weird foghorn, leghorn like yeah. guy. Uh, just a very eccentric character actor. Yeah, it would have been people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It I should think have been right, made John. like 20, 30 years earlier as a trashy movie. It just somehow got made into this, like, yeah, slick Hollywood thriller. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just a disconnect between everything in this movie and the writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what disappoints me. Because cause when you come back to it for, for a second viewing, which if you guys follow my model will be sometime in the... 20, late 2030s, early 2040s. Um, you know, all you've got is is the the writing to enjoy, and it's just I don't know. You know, Changing Lanes had a lot of ideas and messages and lessons it was trying to teach me, and I wanted just like one from Phone Booth, and I guess it's like don't lie. <laughs> it's it's pretty weak. Don't lie on the phone. <laughs> sure. The phone is a sacred thing. Yeah. Uh, Sean, do you have any Your goofs? life is on the line. Oh, yeah. I got a great goof. I love this goof. This is a, here you go. There's a line in the script, and you'll see it in the subtitles for the movie, where Stu's wife is supposed to say, Do what they tell you to do, Stu. 
but what she actually says in the movie, and you can go back <laughs> and and hear this. She says, "Do what they tell you to do." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That sounds more like a question. Like, what did they? It, tell it you seems to do? like <laughs> it. It seems like that's a goof, just because this movie has so much dialogue that some of it just kind of slips through the cracks. Yeah, just a lot of people yelling. <laughs> to pay attention to all of it <laughs> i like that a lot that's i love it when you hear like like isn't there that great what's that line in punch drunk love that's like a, a typo in the script and it's like in the movie mm-hmm. oh it's pretty funny oh, i'm gonna look that, that sounds up real great quick. i'm gonna google that it's have something to do with food but they liked it so much that they like, like made it work um okay okay here it is the line was supposed to be "everything is good," but it was typoed as "everything is food," <laughs> <laughs> and they left it in like that. <laughs> Everything is food. It's deep. I love that. That is it like is for a movie like that. I think that's deep. Uh, and let's now let's dig deep, guys, into the depths of hell. I'm talking about villains wiki. <laughs> <laughs> This is John's Rogues Gallery. We have the caller. He is an evil doer. Uh, for people that don't know what I'm doing, uh, Villains Wiki is like some sort of weird fan site where people uh, make a database for like all the movie, comic book villains, you know, all that jazz, and then like put together their stats like it's the back of a trading card. And uh, luckily, the caller has a pretty thorough villains wiki page uh which is surprising to me because we don't know much about him but let's get into it the the caller full name unknown alias the caller the sniper the man with a briefcase and the man did he have a briefcase at the end i don't don't remember remember having a briefcase but yeah he had a i mean it wasn't a briefcase it was like a case that you keep your gun in oh yeah it's like a That's the kind of case. business I'm into. <laughs> Origin phone booth. Occupation? Vigilante. Powers? Oh, fuck that. No, he's a murderer. <laughs> he's not a vigilante. I'm sure there's some people that can make a case for like what he's doing is right. He's going after Except bad that. guys. Yeah. Right. That pizza guy was probably going to do the next 9-11. Okay? We don't know. Um, power slash skills for the caller. Exceptional okay. intelligence. Marksmanship. Uh, I guess. Sure. Tactics. It's <laughs> oh. kind of vague. <laughs> He's always one step ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> Manipulation. Okay. S- strategy. <laughs> Tactics and strategy. <laughs> strategy. Torture methodology. Like Jigsaw? Okay. What? Uh, just, okay. Just, he, he can shoot you. I guess it's not all about physical torture, is it? Well, intimidation's a sort of torture, I guess. The next power slash skill is intimidation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then I don't know. And his last power slash skill mastery of disguises 
What, like at the end? I when guess, he's wearing glasses? I guess by not having an identity, he's a master of disguise. All right. Hobby. <laughs> this is one big one. Uh, okay, so the caller's hobby is forcing dishonest people to publicly confess fully in which they have hurt their loved ones or others. Oh, no, he's got another one. And manipulating and playing mind games with Stu Shepard. You know, just like that and going to, like, going to the beach, play baseball, and forcing dishonest people to confess. That's not really like a hobby, but I guess it is. Uh, goals. Manipulate Stu Shepard into turning into a better person and cause him to abandon his arrogance and his ego by forcing him to confess all of his wrongs. Succeeded. Now, this is interesting because a lot of villains on Villains Wiki will have their goal, and it will usually be followed by failed. But the caller succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the caller has two crimes. Murder. Murder. Yeah. And psychological torture. Yeah, that checks out. And this is always my favorite part of Villains Wiki, the type of villain. So you think that this would be the kind of thing where there'd be categories, you'd click on the type of villain, like let's say serial killer, and it'd bring you to a list of a bunch of other serial killers. But Villains Wiki gets so weirdly specific that you could never guess it in a million years. I'll give you guys each the chance to guess what kind of villain the caller is. You will never guess it because it is ridiculous. I mean, I've but already points been, to who gets closer. I've been reading along to the callers' villains wiki, so I already know. It. Okay, Sean. <sighs> okay, okay. Let me think back. Let me think back. He's a vigilante. Uh, he uh, he's a master of tactics and strategy. Um, so what type of villain is he? He is a um. Uh. uh a manipulative vigilante marksman. I'll give you points for vigilante. Okay, what you said makes way more sense than what is in the actual uh, wiki. Uh, the caller is a successful anti-villain. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the thing. I thought that, like, okay, you know, the caller really reminds me of Jigsaw from Saw. They must be the same type of villain, but they are not. And I looked at uh, Jigsaw's villains wiki, and Jigsaw is a manipulative oppressor why can't the caller also be that doesn't that seem like they could do the same thing that sounds great for what he is but no he's a successful (laughs) anti-villain it's not it's not like they'd have somebody be type of villain successful serial killer it's just stupid okay you said he's an anti-villain yes so okay let me think so, like, an anti-hero is, like, someone who's bad and ends up doing a good thing. Whereas a villain is someone who's good who ends up doing a bad thing, an anti-villain? <sighs> maybe? Okay. I guess that Or maybe sense. the that's other way the... around. Like, he's bad and he ends up doing a good thing because he teaches oh, Stu yeah, yeah, how yeah. to be a better person. But he does a bad thing because he's because <laughs> he murders, kills kills a guy and shuts down a city block. You know, we didn't talk about it. Those actresses playing the hookers are so annoying. That's yeah, it's I, tough to watch, and they are in it a lot. <laughs> At least for the first like, third. I, yeah. Like I think they're supposed to be annoying, so it's not their fault. 
But they're so annoying. <laughs> the the one woman like slams the phone booth with her hand, and she's like, "Ow, I hurt my dick hand," or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's basically that. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably why Larry Cohen never got an Oscar. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, John, were you aware that Stu Shepard is also on Villains Wiki? <laughs> no. Okay. That, I'd love to hear what is. Yeah. Um, I don't think his is quite as extensive as. Uh, this is so stupid. He's not a villain. But yeah, yeah go go ahead. It's just another case of Stu like being made out to be a worse person than he actually is. <laughs> Poor guy. Are you checking it out right now? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Uh, yeah, what what kind of stuff is on there? Okay, so... Occupation publicist. His powers slash skills are deception, manipulation, and charm. His hobby is hanging out with Pam. It's his only hobby. <laughs> Goals prevent his wife, Kelly, from finding out about his unfaithfulness. Parentheses failed. Uh, <laughs> other goal is get his way out of the caller's trap. Get his way. Yeah, I guess that's successful, but they don't say it. Uh, crimes, adultery. Just, mm. I don't know if that's true. Uh, and manipulation. Type of villain. Guys, want to take a guess? Um, yeah, let's see. Um, unsuccessful <laughs> adulterer. Um, I'm gonna go with handsome devil. <laughs> he is insecure egotist. Which is weird. I don't feel like he's that insecure. <laughs> But I guess the caller well, makes his, him feel insecure. It, there's this big speech where he's like, "I have to, I have to take my wedding ring off every time I, I call, mm. because uh, I'm so ashamed that I want to have a, an affair, and I love you so much. Uh, it makes me feel so bad. Oh, I'm so sad now." Yeah. You know, he's just as bad as Homer Simpson in that one episode <laughs> where he's, you know, falling in love with a lady at the at the plant. He's like his soulmate. Yeah. He's not that bad. He's, he's no villain. He just needs to learn how to be a better man. And he learned that with the help that he got from a murderous uh, psychopath. So we're going with the Collar, huh? That's his name? Yeah. I mean, according to Villain's Wiki. I just feel like everything I read online about Phone Booth, he's always referred to as the caller. What would you call him, Sean? The sniper. Mm. The sniper. Yeah, that works too. Anyways, who's who's picking for next week? I guess it'd be John. Yeah. John, what do you got? Okay, so, uh, guys, we've been watching a lot of dude movies lately. And, I mean, it's understandable. Mm -hmm. We're dudes. Most movies star dudes. But I feel like we watch a lot of movies where female characters are, like, they might not even have a name. <laughs> They're a wife yeah. or someone that the main character is cheating on their wife with. So I wanted to pick um, a female 
uh, led movie, and I wanted to pick something mm-hmm. that was kind of fun. And mm-hmm. this one movie, I I was surprised has kind of had a resurgence in popularity despite not being, uh, not making much of a splash when it came out. But I guess people they like it these days. It's kind of a cult favorite. I kind of want to watch the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Ooh, yeah. And here's another thing. They're, the main song is uh, by Adam Schlesinger, who, of course, recently passed from coronavirus. And mm-hmm. I heard the song that he wrote for the movie, and it's really good. And I don't know. It sounds like it would be fun. I have like I definitely have a history with Archie Comics, so I'd love to go into that and talk to you guys about that and my fandom of Archie Comics. And yeah, it's weird because like this, you, you think you'd look at this and be like, oh god, this looks terrible. But apparently, like somewhere in like the early 2010s, like people are like, you know, this movie's actually like, kind of clever. Like Alamo Drafthouse had like a reunion thing, and they showed it. And I've some podcasts that I like have reviewed it in recent years. So there must be something there. Yeah, I've seen it, and I guess this I was yeah, like ten. There you go. <laughs> well, now you're a man. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was good or not. <laughs> like, it seemed fun. I don't know. I remember very little of it, but uh, yeah, I look forward to watching that again. So I guess this is like an unofficial early two thousands marathon we've been on. <laughs> yeah, I guess. we're just trapped. <laughs> well, I just thought of, you know it'd be nice to. Uh, to do a female movie and then also do an Adam Schlesinger tribute, but I don't really want to watch that thing you do. Um, and I don't know. Maybe this is good. Like, I don't know. I feel like we've been kind of stuck in a loop of very uh, okay to bad movies, so we're going to need to get out of that at some point. <laughs> uh, but for now, this is where we're at. 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's like just it's like it's like low but it's just like close enough to fresh where i'm thinking i might have a good time <laughs> all right well if you want to have a good time you can head on over to mildlypleased.com check out our other podcasts and uh i don't know maybe if we throw up some posts i guess i've been writing a bit about the pop culture i've been enjoying during these quarantine weeks and uh you know tune in next time because uh your life may be on the line oh, why can't we talk again?